splendid blessed day and a warm welcome to the Grey Light Cafe brought to you by Frontinus Limited. Frontinus is a communications consultancy focused on engineering, infrastructure, and sustainability. With you today is Inji Musa, political scientist and teaching associate at the University of Cambridge. And I'm very pleased as always to be accompanied by Mr. Anthony Haynes, creative director of Frontinus. Greetings, Mr. Anthony. Greetings, Inji. So our topic for this episode is abstract, and this is the second of two episodes on that topic. So the first dealt with the structure and content of abstracts, and now we focus on the process, i.e. how to write abstracts. So Dr. Anthony, what do you think should be the starting point? I think the starting point is to get clear what an abstract is. And the key thing to recognize there is an abstract is not part of the paper or whatever text it is you're writing. It's independent. So we use words like um, an abstract should be independent, it should be self-standing, it should be a standalone. So what I mean by that is when you sit down to write a journal paper and you write the abstract, ask yourself this question, are you producing one work or two? And I think the answer is you're actually producing two works, one of which is the abstract. And this might sound like a rather kind of scholastic argument, but it has a crucial implication, which is um, in the previous episode, I said people sometimes in the abstract forget to tell you what they found out in their study, what the results of their findings were. And the reason they do that is they're sort of half half thinking of the abstract as if it's somehow an introduction to a paper. And they think, oh, well, the, the people can see what my results were when they get to that bit of the paper. So if you actually remind yourself that the abstract is not part of the paper, but it's a work in its own right, that will push you towards remembering to include substantive findings when you present the results. Absolutely. Um, and again, having struggled with abstracts for so long, I think definitely from the very beginning, thinking of it as independent is, is kind of help you as a writer actually give them the due attention and due value mm. they, they, they ought to yes. have um, instead of just thinking of them, even if, because sometimes we think of them as separate, but not necessarily mm. as equally important. Uh, but as you kindly shared in the first episode, how actually we end up most of the time reading abstracts rather than reading papers. Yes. So if we start thinking of the abstract as important as a paper, if not sometime more important, then I think that will give much more um, incentive and motivation to to pay them due attention. Well, I would say more important for two reasons. An awful mm-hmm. lot more people will read the abstract than will read the actual text of the paper or the Definitely, yes. conference presentation, whatever it is you're doing. And secondly, people people make judgments about whether they're going to read your paper and whether it's going to be any good based on the first thing they read, which is usually the abstract. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So once this kind of value of the abstract is uh, and, and, and dependence as well is created in one's mind, when would you advise an author to start writing the abstract? Well, I'm going to give what I think is unconventional advice here because I think a lot of writers leave the abstract until after they've written the body of the thesis they're writing or the paper or whatever. My advice is to write the abstract first, write it before you write the paper or the text that you're writing. I don't mean by that you write the abstract and then just forget about it. I mean, that, would, that, that wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. What I mean is write the abstract first. And then as you're working through the paper, go back and change the abstract occasionally. Go back and revise it 
on the basis of what you've written. So it's like you have two living documents that evolve alongside each other, the abstract and the text. And then when you finish the paper, um, go back and polish it, refine it even more afterwards. So let me just explain why I think it's good to write the abstract beforehand, or at least the first draft of the abstract beforehand. The first is it provides the author with a plan of the paper. Some psychologists of writing have referred to that as a macro structure, like a macro structure is a description of the overall shape of what you're writing. And then the micro structure is the particular figure or the particular paragraph or table or whatever that you're working on at the time. And so there seems to be some evidence to say that effective writers tend to sort of move between the macro structure, here the abstract, and the micro structure, you know, the, the actual bit they're working on. They tend to move to and fro between them and they tend to do it a lot. So the abstract, although it's primarily designed to help the reader, can actually help the writer to get the paper written as well. Also, by writing the draft beforehand, it saves having to rush it at the end. And there is no doubt that people rush abstracts at the end. And they tend to think, well, you know, it's only 100 words or it's only 200 words. I'm pretty sure I can dash this off. And that's the wrong mindset because we said earlier, the abstract's more important than the thing you're writing. So the idea of giving less care and attention to the thing that's more important is the wrong way around. So when I say people rush things, sometimes there's a deadline, like submitting a dissertation, and, and they've got you know 20 minutes before the deadline expires and they dash off the abstract. Or sometimes it's um, a deadline for a special edition of a journal. Or sometimes co-authors are hassling you and saying, haven't you got that paper off yet? We need to get that off to the editor. And so people tend to try and cut corners of the abstract. And it's just, that's not, a sensible thing to do absolutely and i think from like an academic perspective as well sometime writing abstract at the at the start and being flexible about reshaping the content and focus of an existing abstract as you um highlighted as well is sometimes like unavoidable to be honest because um as one for example seeks to apply for conference presentation uh, on a new project or wish to tailor that their ongoing research to fit to the theme of a particular conference or panel then they have just to produce abstract first and if they are, don't have the mental ability to kind of try to put their ideas together into such mm. a kind of short piece of writing from the very beginning and then use it as as a plan for um, the bigger paper then they are going to be in mm. big trouble if they go try to always yeah. depend on a paper that's already there that's not going to work for an academic at all because mm. most of the, right. the open opportunities are things new that they have to explore and they don't have the leverage of time to produce a whole paper before yes. they can put together an abstract. So most of the time, abstract is just like putting together ideas in a coherent way, as you have taught us in the first episode, and then see how it goes from there. So absolutely agree with, with the idea yes, of starting indeed. first with abstract, yes. So um, when an author is actually working on the abstract plan, how they, they should go about it, you would say? Well, I think I've got three suggestions. Uh, the first one is just to reiterate a point I made before, which is I think it is good at the drafting stage to create two documents on your computer, one for the abstract, one for the paper, uh, just to kind of keep reminding your brain that you're you're producing two works. That's the first one. Mm, interesting. What's the second one? The second one is to adopt a perfectionist mindset. So I think you want the abstract to be word perfect. 
of course, ideally, everything you write would be word perfect. But in the real world, that's not going to happen. And it doesn't have to happen. I mean, if you take, for instance, uh, your methodology section in a paper or thesis, well, it has to it has to include all the relevant stuff and it has to be accurate. It, it doesn't have to be beautiful. It's not a love poem. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to have superb literary quality, to be honest. Um, you are breaking but my I heart. Think the abstract... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think sometimes people find it quite difficult to give themselves permission to write at different levels. And some bits of writing have to be good enough. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to be perfect. Some things have to be perfect. So, for instance, referencing... I think your referencing has to be perfect. And I think that's true of the abstract as well. And it's a reasonable expectation to make it perfect because abstracts are short. So why why can't you get it word perfect? So I would encourage people to think of the abstract like a miniature art form. You know, through history, we have miniature art forms like sonnets, you know, intricate 14-line poems or haiku, which I think have 17 syllables, you know, Japanese poems, or something like Persian miniature paintings, for example. You know, we have these miniature art forms, and think of your your abstract as a kind of an art form, a a miniature art form. Excellent. Okay. Um, Two quick comments here. So would you say that the idea of perfect is relative in the sense that we think of abstract as perfect for at the stage where they are? Because as you used kind of suggested it's kind of a process so you start with the abstract then you go to the paper and then kind of they go hand in hand so yeah. when you start like at the very beginning the perfect abstract is very different from the perfect aspect as uh, abstract as the yeah. end. so it's kind of perfect for when it is produced in that respect is that right yeah that's a good point so i was speaking a bit imprecisely really i think the abstract in its final form should be perfect and you know i talked about the importance of polishing the abstract after you finish the paper. The, the draft abstract doesn't have to be perfect. There's, in fact, it'd be a waste of time to make it perfect because it's going to change a bit. But I think, whereas with most drafting exercises, with most drafts, I would say you can kind of be pretty rough and ready and you can even write things badly and doesn't really matter in a draft. I think with an abstract, I'd probably start by trying to raise the bar a bit and make it not perfect, but pretty good from the start. Okay. And one more thing maybe to actually kind of pick up on our first episode as well. So if I understood correctly, you are kind of going beyond the idea of a perfect language per se um, and taking it away from like the poetic. So it's not the language, but rather that kind of the function. So would you say that as long as you're abstract at the point that it's written where it needs to be perfect at that stage is fulfilling its kind of duties, i.e. Um, kind of doing as many of the checklists that we have and that you need to have in your abstract from the seven components that we outlined in the first episode, knowing that three of them have to be there um, anyway, then it's kind of having the most appropriate language to fulfill these components and would make mm-hmm. it perfect. That's a very thought-provoking question. I think it's difficult to be absolute on that. I, I, I think really the thing that occurs to me is I think I think the language mustn't get in the way. Like mm-hmm. you want someone to be able to read the abstract and take in the meaning immediately. And if a language is not very good, it's going to cause barriers. It's going to obstruct that process. So what we want is um, a transparent style. Now, actually. 
there's no such thing as transparency in style. But if you talk about transparency, people kind of know what you mean. So the example I always use is this. Imagine you're looking through a window and if the window has been cleaned, you just look straight through the glass uh, without noticing the glass. And what you notice is the things that you can see through the window. Like as I'm talking to you, I can see some trees and grass and so on. Now, if a window's dirty and it's got marks on, actually that draws your attention away from what you would be seeing through the window. So that's what we're trying to avoid. It's like the dirty window in the abstract. It just has to be good enough so that there's an illusion of transparency. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Sounds, sounds very reasonable. So um, just to recap, first suggestion, two documents. Second suggestion, having a perfectionist mindset. What would be the third suggestion you have for us? I think the third session, uh, suggestion is to make the process collaborative. Get other people involved, ask them to contribute. So uh, even to the extent there's an element of crowdsourcing here. So for some reason, we tend to think of the writing process as a rather individualistic thing. If you ask people to visualize a writer they will tend to visualize someone working in isolation. And we don't do that with all creatives. I mean, I would say, for instance, if, if we had to visualize a designer, we get very many different responses. And some of those would visualize designers working alongside people or interacting with people. So there is a bit of an assumption that writing is going to be a solitary activity. And I think for abstracts, that's not very helpful. Um, when I say ask other people to contribute. I mean, something like this. You say to people in your research group, I've written an abstract. It's 150 words. Would you mind having a look at it? Could you find one word or phrase to improve, please? And the reason I suggest that kind of thing is it take people will tend to will tend to do what you want because actually it takes so little time, doesn't it? I mean, all you're asking them to do is read 150 words and then make one suggestion. It doesn't is not a big ask of people. So people will tend to go along with that. And then, well, if you ask 10 people, that's 10 words or phrases. That's quite a big part of your abstract, you know, the reasonable percentage of your abstract. So I think um, think of it in terms of crowdsourcing rather than feeling you've got to struggle away on your own. Okay, interesting. And on that note, like you mentioned people in your like research group, um, I'm I'm really interested in what kind of people. So this is is this one example of people, or are these the people that you are having in mind? So could you include people from like general audience, for example, friends, even family members into this job, or no? And maybe I'm asking that question because sometimes you really don't have the leverage of like this group of researchers around yes. you, or uh, sometimes you just not you don't want to approach this particular group of people. So does that mean that that suggestion? Is limited in that respect, or could you kind of expand it a little? Well, good. I, I think ideally you want two groups of people. Really, one is the sort of you know the people who really know their stuff in your subject area. Mm. They've got some expertise in the area, but I wouldn't just rely on those people. Ideally, I'd also want to have people who know very much less about your subject, and frankly, are much less interested in it. And then, if you can get to a stage where the abstract communicates with them. So, you know, you're, you're a political scientist. You can get to the stage where um, a friend of yours from your college days who's studying chemistry can read it and understand it. Well, then it must be good, mustn't it? And um, even better, if it actually sort of engages their interest a bit, so they're not only understand it, but 
feel involved in it that, that's even better but that's more difficult to achieve but so the ideal would be to have two sets of um, collaborators with the abstract one is you know the, the, the specialist and one is the complete non-specialist excellent yeah. that would make it a bit easier i would say <laughs> okay so finally what resources would you recommend people again like myself definitely who are kind of always struggling with abstract uh, to consult as they kind of go into this onboard journey I would recommend two videos, both produced by an American academic called Karen McKee. Um, if you look at Karen McKee on YouTube, you'll find that she's very prolific. She's produced a huge number of videos about science communication, scientific writing. And I think she's extremely good, consistently good. And she's actually produced two videos on abstracts. So I would certainly recommend them. Obviously, we'll put the links into the show notes on Buzzsprout. One of the, we haven't said anything at all about graphical abstracts, so I'll just mention one of her Karen McKee's two videos deals with the question of graphical abstracts. Interesting. Wow, that would be fascinating to consult. Okay, on that note, let me kindly again thank you so much, Dr. Anthony, for such a rich and insightful um, learning episode. I would say for myself. Uh, definitely um, and I pray it will have been of great benefit to our audience as well so thank you so much Dr. Anthony. Thank you Inji, very much enjoyed it, thank you. This was Inji Musa with Anthony Haynes. Grey Light Cafe is edited by Dr. Bart Holmark and produced by Frontinus Limited. Frontinus specializes in grey literature forms such as proposals, publications, papers and reports. Frontinus helps creators of grey literature to achieve high quality professional outputs and to be more productive. To discuss your grey literature needs and to see how Frontinus can help, you can contact Frontinus via their website, frontinus.org.uk. There is a link in the show notes. The music is from Handel's Water Music, courtesy of the United States Marine Band and Marine Chamber Orchestra.